You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your own authority. Whatever you got, we'll tackle it here. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call us. Today is the Power Hour, so the guys from Pittsburgh Power will be joining me and we'll be focusing on your engine-related questions, performance, troubleshooting, fuel mileage, upgrades, modifications, you name it. We're going to be getting to those calls in just a couple minutes. Joining me from Pittsburgh Power today, uh, let's see. What happened to them? Uh-oh. I don't see. Oh, there they are. Hold on. Uh Way down the list. John and Leroy. Hey, guys. Welcome back. Hey. You found us. Hey, Kevin. Good to be back. Yeah. What, what What are you guys slacking off? You called in so late I have to scroll way down to the bottom I, to find you. I called in at 1245. <laughs> as told. He didn't find me. The, the music, the waiting hey, room so, music was much better than usual. Did you change that or did that, was that just a blog talk thing? That's a blog talk thing. I have no idea what what happens in the okay. background. They're getting better. They're getting better. Yeah, yeah. They got rid of the seventies well, piano music. That's much better. Yeah. <laughs> you love same on the radio. Well, I'm sure you guys have stuff to start off today. But before you do, I want to give you an update at the CMC. Uh, you guys, even though it was crazy and hectic and busy, you guys took uh, some time out, came out to the coach and. Did a very minor tune, you said. Uh, we didn't know what injectors were in it for sure, so you didn't want to get too aggressive on the tune. We did a minor tune. But to give you an update, since that tune, um, I can climb the hills about 10 miles an hour faster and one gear up, which is a really big improvement. And fuel economy went from 46 which is about the best I could do when I'm pulling the trailer, and I'm pulling the trailer on this trip. Uh, I'm at 5.7. Wow. Ooh. Even, yeah, even with that minor tune, we had incredible results. That's incredibly surprising. That is. <laughs> and that was a great lead-in to what we have to announce. Yeah. Oh, good. If we could. So, big big yeah, news. Yeah, our... our our first uh, commercial shop that's picked up one of our laptops and is going to start doing uh, remote tuning is T&E Services, the friend of the, the community here. So that was the guys that were oh, with fantastic. TMC. Out yeah, in Kansas City. In Kansas City. So we'll be able to bring that to, to the people. So if you're get, get on your way through Kansas City, contact Chris there at uh, T&E. If you need to, us to have a look inside your ECM or want to see what kind of programs in there, if we could give you a little programming or diagnostic work or some check engine lights you can't get rid of, uh, yeah, we can uh, we can take a look at it without you bringing it to Pittsburgh now. That's that's our first uh, commercial shop. We've also got a fleet that we 
Leroy and I flew to Chicago last week and set up a fellow with a fleet out there with a computer so he could help, we could help him with his diagnostics and some tuning as well, which will be an interesting market in that uh, he's got many trucks and we could probably save him a whole bunch of money across the board there. But, uh, but yeah, Chris and T&E, first garage. Yep, first garage though. He's, he's our he's our first uh, first one to, that's going to go with it. So that was that was our big well, news for today. That's awesome because when you guys announced, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about this whole program, and I knew you were getting things up and running. My first thought was, when you guys have this ready to go, I'm going to get you together with Chris from T&E and. You guys already did it, so you saved me the trouble. <laughs> no, we're on the ball. <laughs> yeah, so that's it's right. kind of keeping it in the family too, and I think that that's uh, that's an excellent way to do this. I'm pretty happy about that. Well, you know, but I'll tell you, Art. You know that. That's, go ahead. That's a really good fit. Yeah, you know, when you look at geographically, Kansas City, right in the middle of the country, people who run out west are a lot more likely to get to Kansas City than, you know, much further east, Pittsburgh or any of the east coast. So it's a great fit geographically. But we've been working with T&E for years. We love those guys over there. And just recently, uh, Chad Hone from Alignment Solutions also joined forces. And yeah, he's Chad's now working there. out of – yeah. So now for – for people to be able to stop in Kansas City, get, you know, Chad's alignments, T&E's work, and your remote tuning, what an awesome thing. Yeah, that's yeah. terrific. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. I, I believe even more in this program now after our trip last week to Chicago. And, you know, I've been a small businessman my whole life, and I'm sure you, you're familiar with it. And, and these, you know, some of these shops are doing all they can, and they keep themselves a little overbooked and a little bit too busy. And the fellows we met with in Chicago, this added, this solved a problem for them. They're busy fixing trucks. You know, they're knocking kingpins into axles and and fixing other things and keeping the trucks running. And meanwhile, it's also got to check engine light. And it's got a technical issue of some sort that they either have to sub out or bring somebody in. And now we're, you know, we've got our our machine on premise there, and he can plug in and phone us up, and either uh, Leroy or Ethan could jump on and uh, take over their computer and get, point them in a direction. Yeah, and plus the. If they want to, they can. Uh, they don't always have to call me if they know what they're looking for and they know how to do it. It's their laptop to use, so it's uh, it's really a win-win for everybody. Very cool. That is exciting. All right. What else is going on today? Uh, we got DD15 program testing next week. Yeah, that's we, gonna be big. Yeah, we've got some. We've come up with the ability to uh, communicate with the uh, the new Detroit ECM, so we're gonna uh, have one in here on the dyno for. Leroy and I'll stick around and work on it. We got three evenings and a Saturday we're going to spend on it and uh, see what we can do. But pretty excited about well, that. That's, that's going to be big. Uh, yeah, that's that's promising. We've got a lot of DD15s running around, and you know, underneath all the junk, I love that engine. I think that uh, there's a lot of potential there. I've been nothing but impressed with it. I mean, we've not been inside one yet since I've been here. Other than an overhead and uh, reseal the rear structure once, and that's about all we've done to the one. But it looks yeah, incredibly well, durable, good. makes decent power. And I yeah. fully expect, since it is a uh, Bosch common rail system, we should get similar similar results to what we get out of our uh, ISX tuning, I'm sure. So, which is which is big. It's really good. And the great thing is, this engine is pretty impressive on its own. When it runs right, fuel economy is excellent. People love the way they pull. So anything we improve above and beyond that is going to be fantastic. So 
and the ability to troubleshoot them when they're not running right. Yeah. Yep, for sure. All right. And what else? What do you say I don't we know. Get... Uh... Oh, got Go something else going on? No, nope, no, nope. uh, I was I was just uh, I think that's the big thing. I, I was think I was thinking out loud <laughs> yeah. though, like I often do. So <laughs> Yeah, that is. All right, let's get to some calls because we've got lots of them. Let's go to Illinois. David, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing? Good. What Good, how are you? Today? I well, sorry about that. Uh so I, I bought a uh, glider two months ago and I brought it through a Pittsburgh power to have it inspected and they pretty much nailed everything that uh needed uh, attention. So I've got a you know, a budget set up for what needs to get fixed. But I came across something that I've never seen before. Uh, I've got a black fuel filter, and I assume when I bought the truck, the, the paper filter was black. Yeah, silly me, right? Uh, so I replaced it, and uh, the second filter, the second filter, there was a snot started started to grow in between the uh, the fins, and uh, so I didn't know what to think of that. Everywhere I go, everyone says, "Well, the filter is doing its job. The the fuel is green, and the fuel looks good in that Davco filter." It's a Series 60, uh, and then something new started happening, and I, I can't figure out why this happened. All the fuel, and whenever I asked for acceleration, uh, all the fuel pumped over to the right tank. Um, so I don't know if I had some algae or something clogging uh, the system, but I did have the uh, the cap on the, on the uh, fuel filter was loose, so you can see air bubbling up through the fuel there. Could it be one of these things that, because when they took off the fuel lines and blew through the, bre the breather tubes, they even put it on the dyno after they, they did that, and the fuel wouldn't go over. And also treated the fuel. I can't figure out what would cause fuel just to wind up on, on one side. That would have been a clog well, in your uh, the diverter valve, I'd say. You'd need to well, – let's get back to the root of the problem here. The black is coming from asphaltine. You got some asphaltine in your tanks. Was this the Schneider glider that was in that needs some work on the rear ends and some other stuff that we checked out? Well, it wasn't out? a Schneider glider. But yeah, but yeah, I'd need the, the, the bell housing and the uh, flywheel, whatever, the rear main seal. Okay, I remember. Stuff. Yeah, 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 I remember. But what's going on is you've got some asphaltine in the tanks, which is uh, a polymer that's formed when the diesel fuel is heated and pressurized inside the injector. So that stuff coats the inside of your tanks, and as long as it's coating the inside of your tank, it's not so bad, but when it starts coming loose, you've got an issue. And what happens is that's the, the stuff that you're seeing collect in the, in the dimples and in the, in the filter and so forth, and probably also caused an issue with your return valve that would have you, you know, pumping the fuel to one tank rather than the other. So, so what I you need to do is... Well, hold, uh, hold that thought. Explain. Let me get to a break. We will come right back and we'll talk about uh, fix this. Stick around. We'll be right back.
welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The number to join us, 8888-ROAD-DOG. The website is letstruck.com. This is the Power Hour. I've got John and Leroy with me from Pittsburgh Power. Before the break, we were talking about some asphaltine issues and fuel flow, and we're going to get back to that call. We were talking with David in Illinois. So go ahead, guys. All right, Dave, are you still – Kevin, did you have an idea there before we went to the break? Sound like you were going to chime in with something there. The same thing you said, that I think it's all one okay. problem. We have the asphaltine. And, and I, I guess I would double-check to make sure we don't have some algae. Did he use the word, like, snotty? Um, yeah, yeah he did say snotty, yep. Yeah, so I'm wondering we probably need to check for some algae as well. But I think whatever it is, asphaltine, algae, a combination of both, is also what clogged a valve or a vent somewhere and is causing the fuel flow issue. Yeah, that was my, my feeling there. We've got a program here where we've, uh, I think I've mentioned it on the show before, but I've got a friend of mine who's got a power washing business, and he's come up with some, some chemicals, and he's built wands for a steam cleaner and stuff to reach in the tanks and get them nice and clean. So if you want to get through here, it's really not that bad of a job on most trucks unless the, the stuff's, you know, the tanks are really, the bolts are really rusty, but it's, you know, four or five hours to get the tanks off sometimes and then have them cleaned. And he only charges us a few hundred bucks to do that. And then another two or three hours, put the tanks back on. But uh, we've had pretty good results with it. And, and what I believe is I think if you treat while the tanks are clean, I think the treatment's not going to do anything for that coating that's built up on the inside of the tank where the, where the asphalt team's yeah, attached itself and that oh. eventually falls off. Yeah. Uh, but I believe that if you treat it, you know, while the tanks are clean, I think they'll stay cleaner. And uh, Again, this is something I think that it's just the physics of what the fuel goes through in the in injector in the Detroit in particular that uh, that causes this. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Iowa. Scott, welcome to the program. Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for your time today. Uh, I have a uh, 2016 with the ISX 15 in it. Uh, Kevin kind of knows us. I had a Volvo before, had air leaked, blew the motor, and uh, they eventually bought it back. We went out and bought a W900. My question is, are you guys doing tuning on these yet, uh, and would it void the warranty or be better off with a power box from you all? Well, so far we don't have a power box for that engine, and uh, we can do tuning for that engine. Um, and as far as warranty goes, um, I'm not real sure. I don't think that it's going to avoid warranty. Um, I'm not. I'm not real positive though on that side. Well, let's put it this way: it takes somebody really, really, really sharp uh, at, at the Cummins dealer to to see what we did and know that it had been modified. So okay. And here's, uh, I'm, I'm, let me give the sir. big picture explanation of warranty because we deal with this issue all the time with extended drains or any modification. The manufacturer cannot void the warranty just because you modified something. The, the, what they can do is if they can prove it was the modification that caused the failure, then they, it's not their warranty anymore. It wasn't their problem. It wasn't their part or, or their system that failed. If they can prove that, then they don't have any warranty to honor. It wasn't their problem. But if I see. their part fails, if their part fails, 
and it has nothing to do with the modification, then they still have to uphold the warranty. They can't just randomly say, you didn't change the oil when you think you should have, when we think you should have, you put this part on that we don't like. They can say that all they want, and dealers will tell people all the time, oh, that voided the warranty. That's absolutely not true. You don't ever have to change your oil. And if we can prove that the oil was always within the conditions that the OEM sets for oil, and we can do that with oil analysis, then and, and their part still fails, then they have to honor that. So sometimes it just gets a little sticky as, can we prove what caused the failure and what didn't? If they want to say the modification caused the failure and they can prove that, then they don't have to cover the warranty. They can't void the warranty just because you modified it. I got you. Hard to retire from law enforcement after that. Uh, I'm a fan of Leroy's. He's on the show here. Uh, We had an electronic store, and we actually fixed up, hooked chips off boards, revolved them, did software work, uh, made programs in Florida for a ticket writing system. So I'm a fan of his, and I just want to make sure that it was possible to do. And uh, I don't know if you all had a rough estimate for that. Uh, for tuning on one of these. Yeah, our our modern ISX tuning for the CM2250s and the CM2350s is uh, $2,250. And Libra could give you some detail as to what it does. Uh, I know we uh, eliminate some check engine lights. We can eliminate some D rates. There are a number of list of things that he could give you that it does for you, as well as horsepower and torque and Fuel mileage is, it's hard for me to just across the board say that upping your horsepower is going to increase your fuel mileage because, you know, we get half and half here. We get some, some of our customers will you know, come in for a tune and call back and be angry they didn't get the mileage increase they wanted. But they didn't lose mileage. But they didn't lose mileage and they go a whole lot faster now is the problem. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so in, in, in some cases, it's hard, it's hard to not enjoy that power. So I, Absolutely. uh, I'm, yeah, so so that so that happens. So I don't I, I try to not make any guarantees there, but it does give you the capability to get to to improve your fuel mileage. And the truck is a whole lot more fun to drive. Uh, they they I, run really I, well. I'm I'm really proud of the stuff we've done with the uh, with the modern Cummins. That's awesome. I'm I'm currently at uh, 550 horse. That's what I came with, and we have 61,000 on the truck, and we are at a solid 7.1 miles per gallon on on the W900 that we have. Okay, that's pretty good for that's W9. respectable. Yeah, that's already respectable. All right, we have uh, two two modifications. And that was it: the wing and the uh, removing the air out of the fuel system. That was it. Okay, but Terrific. I appreciate your time. That's absolutely what I want oh, nope. to know about the warranty and everything. Thank hey, you. Hey, while you while you're still on, when you're when you're ready to retire from trucking, we could use you in the electronics labs. I need to figure out a way to. <laughs> okay. And, and I need all, to figure all out. People found out. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I just need to figure out a way to clone Leroy or find another another one or two to, to to make the, this all happen here. Once people found out we were we actually repaired electronics, my wife would be upset. She'd come in, and there would be uh, anywhere from flat screen TVs to GPS fish finders <laughs> uh, to slot machines. And I said it's all electronic, and we would fix it for a third of replacing it, so everybody was happy. Terrific, yeah, yeah. That's what we do here with the ECMs. Yeah, they're they're floating chips on and off back there all the time. Yep. All right. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Great stuff.
to another call. Let's head off to Pennsylvania. Michael, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin and company there. Um, by coincidence, I just left Pittsburgh Power about a half hour ago. I okay. just stopped by. I just stopped by there to have uh, my truck on the dyno. Uh, back in the December of 2010, I had the uh, ECM uh, fixed at your place. Uh, it's a bridge motor cat in a W900, and the increase in the horsepower was phenomenal. The drivability was everything Bruce talks about. And I, but I never knew what the actual horsepower was, but now I do. And it, <laughs> it actually, in, in direct drive, it put out uh, 530 horsepower at the, about 537 at the rear wheel. And this is also a 6x2 combination. And uh, I think it was Jason or Justin who I worked with. Josh. Yeah, Josh, Josh that's kind of, it. Josh I knew it was a J way. there. Yeah. So uh, Josh, very knowledgeable because I'd had a no-start problem. He walked me through things to check. It kind of confirmed what I thought. But I asked him because I've heard all this stuff about direct drives being more efficient, and I'm sure they did, but nobody gives you any numbers. So I said, well, just for curiosity, let's do a test with it in 10th gear, 10th speed overdrive. So we did. And now, now mind you, that a six by two only turning one set of rollers, he had to put your water torque at a hundred percent. And in ninth gear, he still could not stall the engine out. It just it got down to about twelve hundred RPM and just kept on pulling. But it put uh, two thousand fifty pounds of torque and three hundred or no, excuse me, five hundred thirty seven horse. In tenth gear I had a hundred percent water torque and the torque converter, it did stall the engine out in about 15 seconds, but it did peak out at 500, I think 90 horse. But what's really amazing, the torque only peaked out at about 1300, which shows you, because it's the torque that turns the wheels, as we know, that direct drive makes a huge difference in pulling them out. So. Yeah, he, you had less horsepower then, too. He would have had to put a different calculation in there for the rear end to get the horsepower number as well. So so both numbers should have been yeah. lower, but the horsepower is a calculated number, so you would have seen a decrease in both. Well, you would, yeah. seen an increase, you would have seen an increase in horsepower like you saw, but the torque wouldn't have went down to 1,300. It only went down to like 18, something right. like that. It was just a miscalculation, that's all. But, yeah, they're definitely... Oh, hold on. We've got to get to a break. We'll come right back and get some more of your calls and questions. This is the Power Hour. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. We're taking your calls and answering your questions about everything 
engines, and I've got John and Leroy with me from Pittsburgh Power, and we're going to get right back to some phone calls. We are off. Uh, oh, I need to go back. Were we done with Michael in Pennsylvania? With Mark? Michael? Or Mike, is he still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Uh, one other notation that I had, and I was really amazed by it, is I love the the drivability of this truck. It just pulls, out pulls anything that I want to pass on the hills at 537 horse. Well, right after my truck, uh, and actually he's a legend of the industry, Hank Good has his Kenworth in there with an ISX 15. And they were doing some work to it, putting the dyno at 600 and I think 67 horse at the rear wheels. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that thing's a beast. You actually turned it down. I was amazed. We actually turned it down. Yeah, last time he was here was over 700. Yeah. We cut him back a little bit. I was amazed. I thought, you know, I had the the ultimate, and I know there's always somebody faster, but to actually see it with the numbers was was quite amazing. But anyways, loved being there. Had some good conversation with Hank, who I actually met back in 1986 at the English Town Drags truck drag races. And I followed his career over the time and his old KW is at the Iowa 80 Truck Museum now on display. With yep, 3 million plus miles. Yeah. So yeah, it was yeah. good to meet somebody I've only read about. Hey, he's an awesome guy. He's a lot of fun to have around. So yeah. the real hey, question is, did you, did you have some did you have some barbecue from the barbecue truck while you're here cuz the barbecue truck no. is here today. <laughs> I had just finished making breakfast. I had another hour to kill to get my time oh. back on my clock and I made breakfast and I just didn't have the appetite but it's I wish right. I had it been there a little earlier. <laughs> you missed hey, out. We've got a couple you guys. of excellent food trucks that come by. Nice. Yep. All right, goodbye. All right. Great, great stuff. You guys, you, you have to stop talking about food, though. I haven't eaten lunch yet. I'm hungry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. The, the good news is, the, the good news is I'm in one of my favorite parts of the country for food. I love food in the southwest. We're heading to Dallas. I'm not a big fan of Dallas. As far as the city goes, there's just a lot of things I don't like about it. But Dallas is one of my favorite food towns. You can get so much good food in Dallas. Really? Yes, hmm. you can. A lot of good food in Dallas. Yep. Oh, so yeah. Is Dallas food and Austin is music. Is that how that goes? No, Austin's Austin's food too. Austin's everything. Yeah, mm. but yeah, yeah I'm thinking more Austin. Yep. Yeah. All right. So we have to stop talking about food, though. I'm hungry. Let's take another question. Let's go to Kentucky. <laughs> Edward, welcome to the program. Yes. How y'all this morning? Good. Good. How are you? Good. I'm driving a 07 Freightliner Columbia with a 14 liter in it. And I've got a yellow check engine light on. And I've got a pro driver display, Detroit pro driver display on the dash showing a TCI. Pimp boat high. What is that? Uh, uh, compressor inlet temp, which is the temperature sensor right before the turbo. It's basically ambient air temperature sensor. It's saying that uh, either the wiring's bad or something's wrong with the sensor. Okay, I, I'm a company it's not, driver. It's not going to affect timing or anything like that. So. Okay, they want me to run it another about another eight thousand miles before I take it into the shop. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't something serious. Oh, no, that's that's completely cool. You're not, that's not going to affect anything. So it's probably a sensor or a wire or something then? Yep. That's all it is. All right. That's what I needed to know. Thank you, gentlemen. <laughs> all right. All right. Glad to help. 
Yeah. It's nice to get an easy one once in a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah, now back to food. So. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I was just going to say, I guess it's easy if you're Leroy. Yeah. <laughs> Some days. All right. Let's see. Who else do we have here? Looks like we have all kinds of people. Let's go to Indiana. Tony, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Uh, got a question about oil analysis. Okay. Uh, looking at a, a truck that uh, a driver abandoned five years ago, and I'm wondering if it's going to be beneficial to pull an oil analysis if possible. Do we know how many miles were on the oil before it was parked? Uh, I do not. That's the big question. So there are two issues here. One, did we have enough miles on the oil to really tell anything? And two, we have to ignore some of the things that can change over time, oxidation being one of the big ones. But there are still, let's say they had anything more than 10,000 miles on the oil. There's a lot of things that we would be able to tell that won't degrade or change over time. Fuel dilution can actually um, minimize over time, but viscosity may or may not change. Wear metals won't change at all, so we can get a good idea of wear metals. Soot won't degrade, so we can get a good idea of soot. We we tend to just ignore um, oxidation and, and some of the other things that will change over time. But if I can get an oil sample... Even on an engine that's been sitting a long time, if there was enough miles on the oil, it's not the best information, but it's still better than no information. Okay. Uh, now, you use Polaris? Yes. Yeah, we work directly with Polaris. Um, great lab. They have probably the best ability to detect fuel dilution. A lot of labs can't detect it at all anymore. Um, and we've we've just worked with them for years. Just really good reporting. Okay, I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Anything you guys want to add to that? No, I think it'd be even if he doesn't know the origin of it, he still ought to just have it, have the analysis done for the cost of the analysis. It'd be interesting to see what it said. Yeah, I've done a bunch on trucks that sit, and there there are some things we just have to ignore, but there are other things that just don't change. I mean, so it, any information, in my opinion, is better than none, and an oil sample just isn't very expensive. Let's go to California. Keith, welcome to the program. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I just wanted to, first of all, give you a shout-out, and thank you for um, the truck I'm driving right now is is owned by a guy that I met at CMC. Can you hear me? Right. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Okay. Yep. 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 Yeah, we've got you. Yeah. Okay. It's a it's a 2008 Kenworth with a Cummings motor in it, and Mike, I have a couple of questions. First of all, the check engine light is like intermittent all day. It's off, it's on, it's off, it's on. It seems like no matter what I do, or fast or slower, doesn't seem to affect it. But it'll flash on and it'll turn off. It'll flash on. It does that all day long. Um, any idea? Is it something I should look into? Uh, I would say, yeah. Uh, yeah. If it's a check engine don't just ignore it. The check engine light, there's most likely a problem. It must be broke. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it must be broke. It must be something. They recent they recently did an in frame on this truck. And my other question is, the other day it started like I'm going up the hill and I start to lose RPM, 
and all of a sudden the truck almost like goes to a crawl where it doesn't need, it's like almost stops. And I look at that thing, it's a turbo that is not boosting and at lower RPM, like going up the hill again, something, it doesn't right. always do that, but something's broken. <laughs> Something must be broke. <laughs> so that, that, even though that, even though that check engine light doesn't stay on there, it should have a code stored in there. So you need to get to a, Get to a, a computer somewhere. Get someone who's got a data Great. link in a computer and check it out. Kansas City is the okay, closest. Take it to Kansas go. City. Yeah, go see Chris at T and E. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah, make it out plug on to you there. Yeah, I'm on my way to Oregon. Oregon, that <laughs> we need someone up there. Well, if we don't find someone soon up there, we're just going to send the computer out to Kevin and uh, I'll make him do it. Swing by his place <laughs> and he'll help. Yeah, I'm going yeah, right past the town. <laughs> I like that idea. All right. So, but yeah, yeah get that you guys. Out. I mean, it could be, it could be, uh, it could be anything. It'd be going going into a slight derate. The computer could be some, for some reason telling it not to make any boost. Yeah. Or it could be a mechanical problem. It could be a boost controller or, or something. Or it could be broke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's broke. So, as I say, they work really well until they don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Let's go to Texas. CJ, welcome <laughs> to the program. Uh, this is CJ. Hey, well. Hey, uh, I got a question. Uh, I'm getting uh, oil inside my uh, air filter uh, the compartment, and I was trying to figure out what, what could that be uh, uh, up on that. Something's broke. What kind of what, what kind of truck is it? Well, it's a Volvo. It got an N14 uh, uh, engine in it. Uh, it's got uh, quite a few miles on. It. I had an overhead uh, overhaul done on it. Uh, matter of fact, I, it's been in the other shop before. Uh, and uh, but anyway, it's uh, I'm not losing too much oil. You know, I'm putting like a gallon, gallon of oil at the eleven thousand miles when I put a gallon of oil. It's not burning oil that I know of, but um, that remains to be seen. Where does the air compressor breathe its air from? Does it come from the the manifold, or does it come from the air cleaner housing? We're going to get to that question right after this. I've got to get to a break. When we come back, we'll uh, tackle this. I'm pretty sure something's broke, though. We'll uh, we'll be right back. All right, a quick heads up. We're heading into the final segment of the first hour. We're going to come back and do another hour and do general questions. So if you press 1 on your phone right now, the question, a comment, a topic should be able to get to you in the second hour, but I wouldn't wait any longer. Here we go. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to the final segment, so I'm going to get right back to some phone calls. We've got John and Leroy with me. This is the Power Hour, and we were talking to 
CJ in Texas. So, CJ, go ahead. Where is that? Uh, where is it getting its air from? Uh, it's getting it from the uh, the air cleaner. I mean, the uh, the filter housing. Yeah, so that's from the they side. They got, huh? Yeah, take a look at your air compressor. Might be slobbering oil out of there. There should be no other way for oil to make it the whole way up to the air filter housing. You know, oh. via the engine, unless it's got some sort of breather system on it that goes through there too. But I've not seen an N14 that uh, breathes the crankcase in, into the air filter housing. So do you think I'd, I'd have to wait. go ahead? I mean, I was going to ask you, do you think the, the blow-by tube would have something to do with it? Because I had a real old, uh, frail blow tube hose on it, and, uh, it, it, uh, you know, you pinch it, it collapsed. It, it's very fragile, and that's not supposed to be like that, I'd imagine. But uh, I changed it. I've been seeming to get pretty good results as far as because I had took it to Commons, and they did a, uh, uh, they did a uh, what they call that, uh, the, the check, check the torque and everything. A dyno. dyno, they put yeah, it on the dyno, dyno and, yeah. they, and, I, yep. and then and they told me I had 14 pounds of mercury uh, as far as the uh, the uh, the blow by 14, 14, 14, uh, inches. 14 inches of water, 14 inches yeah. of water it should have been. Yeah, that's a little high, yeah. but that's not uh, that's not your problem. And if that was blow, and that that's already that's that's what we call a draft tube. So that blows out in the atmosphere, that blows down at the ground. So that's not going into your air filter housing. So. The only place it could really be coming from, I'm thinking, is that uh, the air compressor. And I know some of the compressors did breathe through the air filter housing. So you're probably pushing uh, some oil back through the inlet of the air compressor. Okay. That's where, now, that's it, wouldn't where be a good I, it wouldn't be no good idea to put a, a Pittsburgh power box on it with that happening, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't bother it a bit. But, yeah, you're going to have to address the air compressor issue at some point. Okay. And those N14s right, run really well with the power box. So yeah, that's that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't sway you from that at all. I, I was, but I you was better take, take instead, a, of fix, instead of fixing the compressor, we could put a fleet air filter on it, and it'll just be self-oiling. Hey, <laughs> okay. could be onto something there. <laughs> Turn lemon into lemonade. <laughs> Self-lubricating. You have to talk to the fleet guys about right. that. Yeah, they, we need they, a new they, name they, for the they fleet. Could, they could market that. Yeah, different than the fleet. <laughs> Terrific. Let's uh, let, let's go to Alabama. Charles, welcome to the program. Hello. Hello. Yep. Can you hear? Can Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I was looking at uh, some used Volvos. Uh, 09, and uh, I had a question about the motor that was a, a D16 Volvo, uh, the reliability of it. Uh, is that a very good motor? That, uh, I'm going to have to defer to you, Kevin, on that. I, I have officially named that the worst diesel engine ever produced in the U.S. <laughs> okay. Wow. That's, that's, so there's your answer. <laughs> I guess that's why I was so cheap. <laughs> okay. Thank you. That's all I needed. You're welcome. Thanks for all right. the call. Yeah. Okay. That time I got it. You did. Yeah. Let's uh let's go to Minnesota. Brian, welcome to the program. Hello there. Hello there. What's on your mind today? Hey. Uh I've got a question about M fourteen. I'm getting fuel in my oil. I had it at Cummins. In Fargo last week, and I still, they did it in a hurry, you know, checked the, the light on top, and then they were putting it back together late at night, found a 
you know, O-ring and something this and that. And it just So either way, I'm going back tomorrow. I was curious of some ideas that I could double-check. That would be the first place to look at the injector O-ring or the injector itself. Uh, sometimes when the Cummins injectors uh, fail, they can leak some fuel up around the uh, the plunger. I've heard of the housings right. leaking, too. Where the housings will, where it sets right down the head, the housing leaks, and that's right where the oil lays. Yep. So it could get right in there. Yep. So, but okay. yeah. How, uh, all or, all how in the neighborhood you, of the injectors, uh, though, you're going to have something. Yep. Uh, I've heard of people even pressurizing the whole fuel line. The fuel, and do we know how much is in there? Uh, well, a cat oil sample uh, a few weeks ago showed 22%. And that was over a lot of miles. So then I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, it was. I dumped it, you know, right then. I, I changed the oil when that got that, and then uh, the next week is when I had it in there. And then now, you know, they changed the oil then, and it's already. Which when I left, it was like a half inch full, and now it's an inch full, over full, and you can smell diesel oh. on the stick. Sounds like a strawberry oh, cow. You've got. Yeah, it's getting, it's getting worse. I mean, yeah, well, I'm going to say that's got to be an injector O-ring. You've got a you've got a broken injector O-ring at least. Uh, okay. Yeah, pull pull the injectors out. You're going to see you're going to see an O-ring that's disintegrated. You're going to have one that's almost completely gone. Well, they, not gonna be a whole lot left they put it. all they put all new O-rings in last Tuesday. Okay. But like I said, it was kind of a hurry you know i would i got there and i didn't get right. in right away and all that but so that's why i'm trying to get there tomorrow morning right away so they got plenty of time but well it could be it could the, actually be an injector i mean you may want to have the injectors tested uh so yeah. it could it could actually be leaking around the body of the injector somehow i'd pressurize the whole fuel line with air and watch see where it bubbles. watch for bubbles yeah yeah sure if it's that bad that's... you know find it so you're gonna have one clean engine inside once you get this sorted out though well, I'm just I am worried about bearings, but they it it didn't come out. My oil sample from Cat didn't show anything odd about that at that time. But now it's been getting worse, I believe, you know, so what's the what's the viscosity on the oil? I did not see that. I'll be honest with you. It was sent to me in a picture and I wasn't able to see it it wasn't flagged, I believe though. So well there may be something I'd really like to see the oil sample. 22% would be an absolute world record. Now, we have to think That's about that. <laughs> yeah. Let's just let's just say that engine holds 10 gallons yeah. just for easy yeah. math. That means you have almost two and a half gallons of fuel in there. That's almost impossible. That's what I thought. I didn't make sense. But At, I, I have heard... And I didn't see it. I have heard that at 8%, you actually run some danger of the engine exploding because there's so much combustible fuel in the oil. So I I think the numbers might be off, but obviously there's a fuel problem. One of the things I would do, like now, today, is dump a gallon of Lucas in there just in case you are getting that much fuel to loosen. The the Lucas will help protect it. Now we dilute it with Lucas. Yeah, drain yeah. the gallon out and put that in. I, I hear you. I just have never had much trouble, you know, with it. It's got over a million. I had injectors put in just like a hundred thousand ago, and that was they, another story. They but, yeah. can easily, 
Was it the? Did you have the dilution issues before the these new injectors went in? I don't believe so. I never. I don't believe so. I did. I don't remember sampling. It's been that many years ago that. Okay. I never used oil, so it could have. You know what I mean? It could have been keeping it up. Like honestly, it was a gallon down at like eighteen thousand, and that's when I would change it. You know. Yeah, they can so, they can plug off one end of the. That's like the old Cummins, you know, fuel system. It's got an in and an out. They could actually plug the return line, and pressurize the inlet line with shop air. That that should hold, that should handle to three hundred psi easily. So, they could just hook an air fitting up to the the fuel inlet with the rocker covers off and the jakes off, and they should be able to see bubbles wherever it's coming from. So they really before they tear it apart, you should. So they could easily pressurize that system. That's no problem at all. Okay. So, so you know, 100, 120, 120 psi of shop air is not going to hurt anything. So they'll just have to deadhead plug the return line on the back of the head, and pressurize the line that goes into the head. I mean, and any anyone should have a, a box full of fittings that's uh, big enough to you know figure out some some ways to plug that pretty easily, and and just you could just put an air fitting on it. And they could hook it straight to the shop air and not hurt anything. And uh, do that with the you know the, with the rocker covers off and the jakes off, and they should be able to see the bubbles. Wherever it's coming from. Okay. I will Brian, did did I that. did I hear you say a little bit ago that after the injectors were changed and the oil was changed, that within a certain amount of time the oil went up an inch on the stick? Was that correct? Well, for some reason, when it it was changed at Cummins last week, when I checked it three hours after driving at home it was a half inch over, like the same as the hash marks. And it stayed that way for a few days. And then now it is over, you know, like another half inch over that. Well, and you can smell fuel. I, I, I may take that back then. You could conceivably have a gallon mm-hmm. in that oil. It's that Boy. Yeah. Hey, there's the uh, there's the music. That means we've got to get out of here. Thanks, John and Leroy from Pittsburgh Power for helping us out. Great questions, and we will do it again next week. John Leroy, uh, we'll be seeing you guys in Dallas here in just a couple days. So thanks, everyone, and we will uh, see you next time. Be safe. Be profitable, be fit and healthy, always do the hard work, and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rockwell. All right, everybody, we're going to get uh, to the second hour. Looks like we've got lots of questions, but I'll keep you updated if we have some openings. Here we go. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs. Back in your pocket.
Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freighting with brokers, you name it, we'll tackle it here on this show. All you have to do is pick up the phone. We're going to get to those calls in just a minute. We are uh, we're on the road again, on our way to the Great American Truck Show in Dallas, coming up this week. I have got a very very busy speaking schedule at uh, the show this year. I have been speaking at Dallas every year since that show opened. I can't remember. It was either uh, late 90s or 2000, right around there somewhere when that show started, and I've been speaking there ever since. But this is by far my busiest schedule. I believe I am speaking about uh, three times a day or so. Uh, Just to give you a quick idea, Thursday... Uh, 10 to 11, I'm doing a press release with Chevron, 1 to 2, doing a a panel of oil engineers. We'll be talking about the new oil uh, API categories. From 3 to 4 on Thursday, I'll be in the truckstop.com booth doing some small informal uh, sessions and questions and answers on Friday. I'll be back in the booth at truckstop.com from 11 to 12. I'll be doing uh, shop talk in booth 21112 uh, on Friday. That's from 1245 to 115. Then from 145 to 3 o'clock, I will be in the health and wellness pavilion um, talking about kind of the ketogenic diet, but more importantly, just how to how to be healthy overall on the road. I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, Saturday, 11 to 12, back in the truckstop.com booth. Then from 1 to 2 and 3 to 4, I will be in the main theater, the truckstop.com theater on the floor doing the partners in business presentation. So lots of opportunities. I will leave lots of time open during those sessions for questions and answers. So I'd love to have you stop by uh, to one or all of those. Let's get to some phone calls today. Let's start off in Texas. Alan, welcome to the program. How are you doing, Kevin? Good. What can I help you with? Can you hear me? Oh, uh, Kevin, I have a a question. I bought a truck, O uh, three KW, and um. Uh, Bring it home, you know, took it to my shop, uh, and, and uh, when they sold me the truck, they told me it had 895,000 miles on it. And come to find out, it got 1.2 million on me. And uh, I called the guys and uh, where I bought it from, and the guy, he he really didn't want to do anything. And, and I told him I wanted to bring it back, and he told me just, you know, go ahead and run it. And I put it to work and let him know if you no know, problems come with it. No, give him a call back. So I have some problems. Been calling, and I can't get nobody. So is this uh, worth anything okay. trying to get a lawyer? So, so um, this is for everybody else's benefit. Um, my guess is you didn't run a rig dig report on this truck. 
No, sir, I didn't. Okay. So for everybody else, the rig dig is very, very inexpensive. It's it's kind of like a Carfax for trucks. You know, you see the Carfax service all the time gives you all the history on what happened with the car. Rig dig is like that, but even better. It it gives you all the same stuff Carfax would, but they're also tied into the FMCSA. So every single time a commercial vehicle gets looked at, that gets recorded. So we get all those records from Rig Dig, and it's usually pretty easy to spot something like an odometer issue, where you know it's being advertised at one mileage, but we can look on the Rig Dig report and see that that's true. It had that four miles. So always, always, always do a Rig Dig report before you buy a vehicle. But um, you know, it's hard to say whether they were being dishonest right from the start or they just didn't know. It is more common to have mileage-related discrepancies on a truck than it is a car. For one, you put a lot more miles on a truck than we do on a car, so there's just more opportunity for something to go wrong. And, And the other one, you know, I've owned a lot of cars. I've never, ever replaced an ECM, a computer on a car. Never had to replace one. Replacing ECMs on trucks, fairly common, and if that isn't done right, then the mileage gets off. And and that's one of the ways we see mileage issues like this. Um, The other one, sometimes I've seen people try to sell a truck saying it has 800,000 miles when it really has 1.8 million because the odometer is turned over completely. So this does happen. Um, How much did you pay for this truck? Well, I pay 18 cash. And, and, and that's not the thing of Kevin. I, I did get to run the truck, and I, I didn't get a full week. Uh, I was having issues with the truck. Even when I just bobtailed at home, the temps run up. You know, it didn't just run hot, but it was it run up to around one two ten, and I just had to get out of it and got it back home. That's where I went to the shop, and you know, had a couple of things. I, you know, I had to put a water pump, did a fan, fan shroud. You know, and when I put a load on it, you know, I still had problems with my temp going up. And, uh, yeah, so and, here's and the, I didn't get a full week. Uh, I, I didn't get a full week out the truck, Kevin. And the full day, they almost got a full day in, and then the truck caught fire. Oh boy! Um, did it burn to the ground? It didn't burn to the ground, but it's it's pretty much probably going to be uh, a total loss to cab. You know, it's, it burned right around up that uh, firewall. You know, wow. So we have look several, at what we I'm have waiting on the insurance. I'm waiting on the um, it, let, Let's say that the insurance gives you the full 18000 that you paid for it. Now, they they how much did you insure it for? That's the first question. Well, the company I'm working with, I you know, insured for nineteen, and then it's got a $1,000 deductible, so that's going to come out to be. They give me back to the eighteen, and then I'm looking at storage fees now. No, I'm, you know the truck being over there yesterday was like a week, and it's already eight hundred something dollars. You know for that, you know, and I'm waiting on the adjusters to you know do what they're gonna have to do with. And that's why yeah. you know I'm so, trying to get them there. No. And that's why this is gonna get right. a little complicated. But let's go through some of the legal issues here. If you paid eighteen thousand, and it burns down or it's totaled, then the insurance company gives you eighteen thousand back. Let, let's just start there. It's pretty simple. 
technically you would have nothing to sue the dealer over because you don't well, have any I real put, I, I put a well, I put an additional four thousand in it doing all that other stuff trying to get the truck running right. It's over four thousand okay, dollars. So that that's why this is gonna get complicated. Then you have some storage fees. So what we have to look at first is what are your losses and what are your losses because of their either mistake or dishonesty. Let's start with this. When you buy a used vehicle, used vehicles have zero warranty. They are sold as is. Literally, if you sign the paperwork on that vehicle and the title is transferred to your name and you walk out into the parking lot, turn the key, and the engine blows up, the dealer has no responsibility whatsoever. So we have to start there. The, the stuff that was broke, the dealer has no responsibility. There's no warranty at all on a used vehicle. Now, some dealers are just really nice, and they'll work with you. This one doesn't sound like one of those. Now, we can make a legal argument that you only incurred all of these additional expenses because you bought a vehicle under false pretenses. Um, then we would have to look at, did the dealer know this or not? So we've got, and now you've got an insurance company involved. We've got additional losses. This is going to be a tough one. Um, I would wait to see how much you can get out of your insurance company and see what your real losses are because you can't claim anything more than what you've lost. And and if what you've lost comes out to be, you know, a couple thousand dollars, Honestly, I would tell you that it's probably not worth unless you want to try taking it to small claims court yourself. And there's no guarantee you're going to win. You're going to have to take time off the road. That can be a pain in the ass, too. So you've got to see if that's even worth your time. But I think the first thing I would do is find out how much you can get out of the insurance company and... I would also go back to the dealer once I have a number on how much you had to put out. And I would negotiate with them and say, if we don't resolve this, I am going to take you to court. You may even want to hire an attorney just to write a letter to the dealer. But then as far as going to court, that, that's a much bigger decision. Uh, but we're going to need some numbers first. If you want, call me back after you get uh, some numbers from your insurance company, and we'll talk about what your best option would be. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're going to uh, get back to some phone calls. We're going to head off to Wisconsin. Larry, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for taking my phone call. In 2007, with 500,000 miles, I bought a 387 feet with a C15 cat motor, 18-feet uh, transmission, 
and uh, 355 rear end. When I bought the truck, the catalytic converter was missing. Two years later, I put straight pipes on it. At 1.25 million, I had Caterpillar do an in-frame platinum overhaul, and that's been 200,000 miles. I would love to take it to Pittsburgh Power, have them do whatever they can to get me better fuel mileage. In the last year, I lost about a half a mile to the gallon. Would they be able to do that, being that I got straight pipes on it and no, you know, for emissions and stuff? Yeah, they can still help you out. Okay, that that was the main thing, because you had made the comment the other day that they're even cracking down on Pittsburgh power and that stuff, but I didn't know if that was just a no-show for you, but I would love to have them go through and see whatever they can do. I, I haul between four and maybe 10,000 pounds in a 53-foot van in, in the north-central area, and I just want to get the fuel mileage up. I got more than enough power. Yeah, and they'll be able to do that. I mean, they can work wonders with that setup, and they have lots of options. I mean, you could, you can easily pull in there and pull out, you know, a day later getting a mile per gallon better. I I figured I'd do is I call ahead of time, find out what their their lake time is to get it in there. Do they have motels and stuff like that to take care of you while you're sitting there? Yeah, yeah, they can take care of you. Fantastic, fantastic. Thank you so much, Kevin. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Yeah, you will You will love your truck when you pull out of there. And getting another mile per gallon out of this truck isn't going to be that hard. That's kind of low-hanging fruit. Let's go to Ohio. Dan, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, kind of an easy problem. Not It's more of an annoyance than anything. Um, my fan will come on, the uh, engine fan, and at the same time the engine light comes on. Uh, the fan, we're talking about, oh, I don't know, 180, 190 degrees. It's not when it's hot, not climbing, just intermittently. And it might do that several times a day, and then it might not do it for a week or two. It's a Detroit Series 60 on a Freightliner. Yeah, so what you're saying is the fan is coming on way below the temperature that would require the fan to come on. It's just coming on Correct. randomly, and at the same time, the check engine light comes on. Right. It's not like yeah, I mean, I misreading. Yeah, I, I I don't have anything specific, but I don't think they're going to have much trouble finding this. This should be pretty okay. straightforward. We're getting a a false signal somewhere that's telling the fan to come on. Um, probably a voltage issue or a sensor issue somewhere, but it, it really shouldn't be that difficult to find this one. Yeah, it doesn't have me too worried. Just kind of curious. So, yeah. All right. Well, yeah, it's great. Not, not a common thing, um, so I, I'm not, you know, I don't know where to start, but I, I think you plug into this one, it's not going to be that difficult to track this one down. Let's go to Ohio. Dave, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, there. I got an oil sample I want you to look at. You got an oil sample I want you to look at. All right. Another pretty simple one, I think. Yeah, we've got three oil samples here, right? Right. The the latest one was August of this year. I I, uh, had her give you the last couple of them so you could see a little bit of history. This is 25,000 miles on a 
oil change after 230000 on my last oil change. All right. So my concern was... My, Go ahead. My concern was that the, the dilute, uh, fuel dilution, 1.9, and the soot is, is 0.9. I never had a soot problem before. Um, yeah. So uh, tell me... If I'm reading that right or not, uh, no, I didn't add. I didn't have to add a gallon of oil that whole twenty-five thousand miles. But in the past, well, I was using a lot of oil. Yeah, Here, here's what happened when I was at the CMC over there. Uh, Chad asked me how high I was filling that oil, and I said to the fill mark. He says you never fill a cat to the fill mark. Always fill it to the ad mark. And I haven't haven't been using it hardly any oil at all since then. <laughs> you know, this is we we've seen this before. There are some trucks when you fill it to the fill mark, it will burn that first gallon off quickly down to the add mark, and then it'll slow way down or stop. But if you keep putting uh-huh. that gallon back, it will just keep burning it. So his, his it, yeah, advice yeah. is exactly leave it at the add mark the, and just keep high on it. But the, then the history of the last 230,000 miles I had on that oil is I was putting a gallon in every six, 6,500 miles. So I was always adding fresh oil in it. Am I, do I have just nothing to be concerned about? I'm just not adding the fresh oil anymore. And the numbers are a little bit elevated. I also had an exhaust leak. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I think that's all that changed is that the way you were doing it, putting in a new gallon constantly dilutes that oil and, and makes it cleaner, but it's not necessary, right. and there's nothing uh-huh. wrong with this sample. These numbers are just fine. Um, uh-huh. I, I wouldn't worry about it. There's nothing in this sample that concerns me at all. Okay. Well, now the other question I had, too, was on the base. I think it's like 574 Um on that fresh oil out of the bottle, my very first sample two years ago, the same oil was eight point something was the base. Now, would that be the same the same thing? Would the base deplete that much in, in uh, twenty five thousand miles? You think? It does, and and the reason you weren't seeing it before is every time we put in a gallon of oil, we're adding back to the base, so your base. Yeah, I get that. Way. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Your base stays nice and high in a truck that doesn't use any oil. That's always our number one problem. If the truck's not using any oil, we are going to use up the base. Even a healthy engine uses up base. And if you're not replenishing it, at some point you end up low. Now, this is we see this a lot on the DD-15 because they just don't burn oil. You can go 50,000 miles on those and never put in a gallon. And after a while, the base will deplete. This is why we, you know, found the solution of the uh, Luber Finder spin-on filters that have the base with in the base them. in it. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess next filter change, I'll have to put one of them in there. I, I the reason that I changed the oil after two hundred thirty thousand is when I spoke with John over there from Pittsburgh Power. He said, look, you got 230000 on the oil, and the base was at four-point-something. Why not just change the oil? 
and it made sense to me. What the hell? I got, I got, you know, like I say, almost two years out of that last oil. Um, but then I saw the base drop so fast right away, and that's the reason you said, huh? Okay. Yep. Yep. Great. Yeah, because not to be concerned about them. Nope, not at all. Yeah. Every time you put in a gallon, you really bring up the base number, um, which is a good thing. But if you're not putting in oil, um, the spin-on filter is the way to go. That'll bring that base back up. In, in fact, I would only do one. When we had people doing both of them, um, the base was actually going way higher than what we needed it to be. Let's see. Let's head off to Texas. Gary, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Say I got an oil sample there for you under Gary's truck. All right. Let's take a look. Uh-oh. What is yeah. going on I've here? been doing a Oh, yeah. Hello? Ah, all right. So, yeah, this looks like a, uh, this looks like a, what? you know, 10 kindergartners okay. got a hold of a box of crayons and, and scribbled all over your oil sample. Yeah. Okay. What? I had when I had my engine rebuilt in 2014. I blew it up on Halloween. I had a year later. I my my uh, fuel dilution kept climbing on me. So I finally went in and they pressurized the system and they replaced. They ended up replacing three out of the six injectors that I had. You know, put you know when I had it rebuilt, I had all new injectors put in. And I and I asked them right out. I said, so did you pressure test it again after? to see if any of the new ones leaked. Well, they said no. So my fuel dilution has been around four the whole time, but I was running, I ran a rig master. I never idled. Well, my rig master has been down since sun, since the spring. So I've been idling all the time. Yeah, so uh, let me, there's the music. Let me get to a break. We'll come right back and we will talk about this. Stick around. Be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. I was talking with Gary in Texas. So, Gary, um, how long ago was it that the three injectors were replaced? How many miles? Uh, I, I don't have the, my book out. I'm driving down the road now, so I can't look. But it was uh, it was just – it would have been like a, uh, right before Halloween last uh, in 15. Okay. So – there's no question there's an injector problem. You have fuel dilution at 7%. Uh, 
Um, soot is going way up, which because we're getting so much fuel in the cylinder, we can't burn it all. Viscosity is way down. The base has dropped. We've got all kinds of um, wear metals. So we've got to get the injector issue taken care of. I mean, this is really starting to cause problems, and it's got to be an injector uh, getting that much fuel in here. Okay. I am on my way home because I have, you know, my big master is going to get fixed and stuff, so I'll just make another appointment to go to the Detroit shop and have them go back into the injectors again. Yeah, yeah, they've, they've got to get this taken care of because it's clearly a problem. All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Delaware. Alan, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Hey, um, I got a quick question about one of the uh, previous callers. You were saying on the cat motor that you don't put the oil up to the field line? Um, not always. Some some cats will will do just fine if you put it up to the full line. But if you have a, and actually this goes for any engine, but cats are more likely. If you notice huh. that you burn oil quickly after you top it off, you may mm -hmm. want to wait. You know, maybe you top it off and it goes right down to the ad mark, say in five or six thousand miles. You might want to just yeah. wait a little bit. You know, at the ad mark, you're a gallon low. Letting an engine go two gallons low even doesn't really hurt anything. I mean, I wouldn't do it for a long period of time. But if it gets uh, down to the ad mark, I would just wait. And if it okay. slows down and it doesn't burn as much, then I would keep it either at the ad mark or somewhere between ad and full. Sometimes it, it's almost like they got the wrong dipstick in the engine. And when you put uh, it up to full... The, there's just too much oil, and the engine wants to get rid of it. So just play around sometimes and maybe let it sit down on the ad mark and see what happens. Okay, I will. I will. Hey, um, here's my real question. Um, I was listening to you guys uh, with Pittsburgh Power. I have one of those BXS motors, uh, a C1505. And were you guys saying that, I could change the harness on it, or Pittsburgh Power could change the harness, and then it would be like it would run like a, a, a 6NZ? They can do some tuning and some modification on there, legal, and it will run like a 6NZ. That, that engine, you know, it's kind of funny. We used to tell people absolutely stay away from that thing. Don't get one of those engines. There are problems. And then over time, Pittsburgh Power figured out that it is a problem, but it's actually a really easy engine to make it run pretty spectacular. So now hmm. Pittsburgh Power has, has you know, owner-operators and fleets that actually go out and look for these things. They can usually pick them up cheap because they have such a horrible reputation, and they can make them run really well. Well, you know, um, I must be one of the lucky ones, and, and I've even had cat people tell me this. I have, a, like, 05 cat, right? I, I got it turned up the way you said, and I, I've done all the modifications. But um, uh, I've never – I have a million miles on it. I've never had any major problems at all, nothing. I bought the truck at 400000 uh from a fleet, 
and I've never had anything bad happen to me, knock on wood. And, you know, I mean, I listen to people calling you talking about going through three turbos in one year and stuff like that, and I'm, I'm just like, wow. So uh, the cat people said that I had one of the good ones, and they don't know why. They said that, that they can have two motors that were built on the same day, and they said one of them will just be terrible forever, and the other one is indestructible. And they said for whatever reason for me to hold on to mine. So I'm going to, and I use Pittsburgh Power. Uh, but I have uh, oh, one more. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you do have a good one. They can make it even better, and I would hold on to this. Um, I wanted to make one more comment, something I've been experimenting with. Um, you know, Fleet Air Filter says that you can get like 50,000 miles out of a wash. Um, I have not found that to be even remotely close to being true. But, um, and I just pretty much travel up and down the East Coast. What I, I, I started doing a little experiment, though, and I wanted to run it by you and see what you thought. I've just been taking the outer filter off like once a month and giving it a quick uh, clean, and I'm having a lot better results. I don't, use, I don't wash the entire filter. I have two sets, but I, I take the outer filter off, wash it, put it back on, and then I still do the... Uh, the uh, full set at around twenty five thousand. I just wanted to know what you might what you thought about that. Yeah, that's fine. One of the things that I'd like to do anytime we're experimenting with things like that, the beauty of this is we can monitor the oil sample. I mean, the one thing we would want to be careful of if we're over cleaning the filter, we want to make sure we're oiling it properly. And the only downside could be that if we clean it too well, we don't oil it enough, we might get more dirt in the normal. But we can see that quickly on an oil sample. So if you're sampling and you're not getting high silicon numbers, then I would keep doing that. You know, the, the okay. idea of getting 50,000 miles, I do know people that get 50,000. It really has a lot to do with where you're running, what time of year it is, right. how much you know, dirt right. is in the air. Um so how many dirt lots you go into? Do, some people don't. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Hey, um, uh, thanks for all your health stuff. It, it makes it, it. I'm starting to really uh, take a hold of that, and I'm starting to apply a lot of it. And I just want to thanks for all. Uh, thank you for all you do, and and uh, have have a good day. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. We're going to head off to. Georgia this time. David, welcome to the program. Hello. Yes, what's on your mind today? Can you, can you hear me? Oh, okay. Sorry, I wasn't sure. I didn't hear the, the other part. <laughs> um, I've got uh, an OPS filter on this Snyder glider. Okay. Can you still hear me? I, and uh, the shop that put it on, I wasn't there when they put it on, and they run the tube parallel along the frame rail. And I, I I experienced a lot of oil coming out of the vent tube, and they so I brought it up to them. They said, improperly. "Okay." So when that's you what I kind of figured because I didn't I didn't yet. Yeah, he said, "Well, let's change it and let's just put it to the ground because it's probably going to have oil, you know a drop of oil here and there." I said, "But that doesn't look like a drop of oil. It looks like spray all over the place." It it really shouldn't even have a drop. I mean, if they're installed properly, then you shouldn't get any oil out of that vent tube or very, very little. But if you install it improperly, you'll get lots of oil out of that tube. In fact, 
the story, and I've told this many, many times on the air, I, I bought a Freightliner back in 05, and I had the OPS installed at the factory while they were building the truck. And when we got that truck back, it would go through a gallon of oil in 400 miles. And wow. Yeah, it was kind of, kind of leaking out quite a bit. Yeah, well, there was another twist to this story. Because it was installed at the factory, and it was a really pretty install. I mean, it was all wire-tied really nice. But they took the overflow tube from the OPS unit, and they wrapped it with the blow-by tube. So they're now wrapped together, and everybody who looked at the truck thought the oil was coming out the blow-by tube. We didn't even realize that the OPS vent tube was in that same bundle. And the, the manufacturer was getting ready to do an in-frame on this truck with 10,000 miles on it. They thought the rings wouldn't seat. And they thought they were blowing all that oil out. And I was out of town when all this was happening. So I got back into town, the truck, and within a couple minutes realized what had happened. They ran, they mounted the OPS on the frame, and they ran the vent, or they ran the return line under the frame and then back up to a, a fitting. Well, you can't do that. It needs a good nine-inch drop. It can't go down and then try to come back up. Then what happens is the pressure just forces all the oil out the vent tube. So all I did was, I mean, we were burning two gallons of oil every single day. All I did was turn off the OPS. We ran the truck, no oil consumption. But the, the shop almost did an in-frank. You just need to get the unit up higher so that that return line has a good drop down to the engine. Stick around. We'll be right back. Kevin Rutherford. All right, we have one more segment to record. I'm looking at the call board, and it looks like I would be able to get uh, one, maybe even two more calls in if you press one on your phone right now. Um, I'll be able to get to you. So if you've got a question, a comment, a topic, anything at all, go ahead and press one, and I should be able to get to you. Here we go. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The number to join us, 8888-ROAD-DOG, the website, letstruck.com. We're uh, we're down to the final segment, so I'm going to get right back to some phone calls. We are off to Oklahoma. Stuart, welcome to the program. Fair tax yesterday there, Kevin. Uh, What's on your mind today? I got a weird one today. Uh, within the next six months to the year, uh, my other business is growing 
enough that I think I'm going to be able to get out of the truck. And, uh, I, as far as, uh, as far as getting out of the truck, I kind of don't want to sell it, but, uh, I, I don't have the discipline to have an employee. I just, I just don't. And, okay. uh, uh, kind of want to, I kind of want to talk to a friend about giving it to my friend. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, I need to know, like, is there any, like, tax, is there any sort of tax something or another that I would need to do, or, uh, I don't even know how to phrase this, man, uh, is this a tax write-off, is, is there a special tax form I gotta do, am I gonna have to pay for this thing twice, essentially, uh, it's just a lot of yeah. question marks that I yeah, let me let me try to clarify this because th this can get a little confusing. So I, I, I'm going to assume, and you can tell me, it, you've owned the truck longer than three years, right? No, I have not. Oh, you haven't? Okay. That, I, it's a good thing I no. didn't assume then, and I asked. When did you buy the truck? What month and year? Uh, January of this year. January of this year. Wow, now we're going to make yes. this even more complicated. Um, oh, great. Do you think you're going to dispose of it, the, the, however we do it, sell it, give it away, park it? Do you think you're going to take it out of service before this year is over? With? Uh, I I hope so. Okay. Uh, I can't, answer, I so can't answer that for sure to be helpful. Right, right. So here's where it gets a little confusing. You, how much did you pay for the truck? Uh, I only paid uh, twelve thousand dollars for the truck. Okay, so we have not depreciated anything yet. So the way this works is when you buy an asset for your business, in this case the truck, you get to uh -huh. depreciate the amount that you paid for it. If you then get right. rid of that asset we have to calculate what's called a recapture of depreciation when you sell it, dispose of it, stop using it, however that would work. And let's say that let's say that you bought this last year instead of this year and we took all $12,000 up front. That would mean the asset now has a value of 0. You paid 12,000, we depreciated 12,000. In the IRS's eyes, it has a value of 0. If you then sold it for, say, $10,000, now the IRS says, hey, wait a minute, you took all that money in depreciation, and now you got 10000 of it back. You now have to pay the tax on that $10,000 that you didn't pay before. That's the way it would normally work. So if you gifted it, now i got to throw in another twist. In this example, you're talking about giving it to a friend. That friend is not uh, a 501c3. They don't have charitable status. So you can't take any kind of a tax credit for a donation because you're just giving it to an individual. They're not tax exempt. You wouldn't have any recapture to pay because you didn't get any money back. So there wouldn't be any tax liability. But there also wouldn't be any tax benefit 
you're, you're not going to get any kind of a write-off because you, you gave it to an individual. Now, let's say you gave it to your local um, charity, you know, some of these charities that take vehicles back, and, and let's say you found one that would take the truck. You then yes, could get a charitable tax deduction because you gave something of value to a charitable organization, a, an official 501c3 organization. But that's not what we're talking about. I'm just because it's the IRS, I you know I really like uh, the fair tax because we wouldn't have to talk about all this mumbo jumbo. I am in there. Yeah. Now, what's going to get confusing, but it may work to your benefit, is that nothing has been decided about depreciation yet. So if you right. decide when you get rid of this thing, dispose of it, park it, give it away, sell it, whatever you do, we can then look at the next tax return and say – how is this going to work best? Should we take all the depreciation and then recapture it? Should we not take any depreciation and then there won't be any recapture? The numbers and the timing will change all of those. So what I'm trying to say is there is no right answer to this right now, but we're right. going to be able to pick and choose the best scenario when it comes time to do your next tax return. All right. Can I can I throw one more thing into the mix that I, I probably should have mentioned? I've got receipts for uh, rebuilds and not rebuilds, but uh, uh, parts parts replacements and repairs that that are equal to or greater than the value of the truck. Uh, does does that help me at all, or no? Well, those those will be straight tax deductions. That is money you okay. took out of your pocket, their business expenses. We can ignore those as far as the transaction of the truck itself. But those are just going to – you're just going to get your write-off for those. And, and okay. you never right. have to worry about them again. What, what the issue is and the complication is the depreciation and the disposal of the vehicle itself. So all of your other receipts – perfect you get to deduct them you won't pay tax on that money that's excellent it's the whole purchase depreciation disposal we have to figure out and and work it to your advantage all right so i need to get on the phone with uh, your tax division and we'll figure yep. this all out then exactly all right yep all right well thank you very much kevin i do appreciate it you're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to David. It's your turn. Welcome to the program. Hello. Hey, I just wanted to call back and give a shout out to John and Leroy. I met at our shop in Chicago lands. We're not oh, quite yeah. set up, but we're also going to do the uh, the computer laptop and do the dialysis uh, or the diagnostics through uh, big Pittsburgh power. And yeah, just for all you guys do, you, you you do a great job. Um, I'm enjoying the keto diet and doing the different things uh, to make my health better on the road and cooking in the truck, and I just appreciate all you do. Well, excellent. Thank you for the uh, the feedback. I'd love to hear that. And the whole, uh, the whole remote diagnostics with Pittsburgh Power is really exciting. I'm uh, 
looking forward to that expanding as well. Let's uh, try to squeeze another one in here real quick. Let's go to Texas. Lawrence, what can I help you with? Yes, how you doing, Kevin? I'm calling. I just found out uh, that Snyder is selling these Columbias with the glider kits. Do you think that would be a good investment? I think they are one of the best values in the used truck market right now. Okay, great. I was hoping to hear that from you because <laughs> I really don't have too much I, other choices. I, I, I'm sorry. I, and after would, hearing that I guy that lost that 18000 uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Run the rig dig, do all that stuff ahead of time. But these are good, solid, well-specced, well-maintained trucks. I would go so far to say okay. that if I wanted to get back into the trucking business right now and I were going to buy one truck or 20 trucks, this is what I yes. would buy right here. I would buy these gliders. I think they're the best value in the market right now. Oh, great. Appreciate appreciate everything. Uh, I told Bridget tomorrow morning I'm going to order the program because I'm going to try to start, and I'm going to start like in January, like you say, the best time to start, uh, especially for as taxes purposes-wise. So for now, I'm yeah. just staying with the company, and in January, I hope to have everything. What about uh, one more thing? Kim, what about starting the LLC? What, do I start that right away, or is that something no. I have to go and do now, long wait. before I get the truck? No, actually, we don't want to do that till after you've been in business at least a year. We we want to see that or at least a year. Return. Yeah, so at least a year. So okay. you don't have to worry about it up front. Okay. You just start as a sole proprietor to keep it nice and smooth. Okay. And then after that first year, we can take a look at your numbers and see whether or not it makes sense for you to have an LLC or an S-Corp. Because the only real reason we do LLC or S-Corp is because of taxes. But it, that doesn't mean it would help everybody. You have to have a certain amount of revenue net income before it's going to help because there are expenses to having a corporation. So we'd like to see that first year we can calculate, you know, your break even and how much it might save you and then uh, do it maybe in your second year of operation. Come all out of time. We'll see you next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. Kevin Russell. Thanks for tuning in to The Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.